0: radio that isn't bought and paid for by the usual bad guys please subscribe to Truth Jihad radio you can go to truthjihad.com or you can visit my substack at kevinbarrett.substack.com
1: yeah. the key thing is don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting stay inside, don't drink or eat anything
0: What's an important question? I understand that, highest moment the last 8 years Mm. highest moment in the last 8 years. Well, I think the, the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9/11 itself. Welcome. This is the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. Kevin Barrett broadcasting live from somewhere deep in the woods of western Wisconsin, bringing on all kinds of interesting people who are telling you things that you'd never hear in a million years in the mainstream media propaganda factory. They've been churning out all kinds of nonsense about so many subjects. Today we're going to talk about China and how the propaganda machine is waging PSYOP after PSYOP on that front, We're going to talk about the COVID issues raised by the guests brought on to a panel Wednesday by Senator Ron Johnson. And we're going to talk about why Brian Rue, formerly the world's foremost Buddhist Nazi, as far as I know, has given up the Nazi part in favor of the Buddhist part. (laughs) He's renouncing Hitler. And I'm just wondering if the ADL is willing to reward him. So we'll get into that at the very end of the show. But first, let's get to the issues of uh, China and COVID, starting out with China with Matt Arad of Canadian Patriot. He's got a new 75-page report out, Breaking Free of Anti-China PsyOps, How the Cold War is Being Revived and What You Can Do About It. Well, I think the Cold War is pretty well revived, uh, and then some. (laughs) And, uh, And then he just put out a brand new piece on Z's visit to Saudi Arabia and how Atlanticism is going the way of the dinosaurs. So that's all a really good analysis, and let's hear it from the man himself. Welcome,
1: Matt Arad. How are you doing? Hey, Kevin. Always a pleasure to be with you.
0: Yeah, great to have you back. So, yeah, I, th- I think you're you're right about the anti-China psyops, and, and China seems like kind of the, the big kahuna. You know, it's sort of like with 9-11, it was all about getting those seven countries in five years that were a problem for Israel, and the big number seven was Iran. And they never quite got there. Well now the big Cold War uh, kahuna here that, that they've got to go after is of course China. China's threatening to surpass the US and GDP and technology and so on and so forth. So they're they're going after Russia first. And so this this live war on the ground that's bleeding Russia is kind of equivalent to the invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq around you know the two borders of Iran. But, of course, Iran was the real target there, and they were fortunately never able to make it there. And I'm hoping they're never going to make it into all-out war on China either. But you know, I think you're right that that's the really big issue. I mean, China is the elephant in the living room. And so maybe you can uh, explain why that is and talk a little bit about this propaganda and how we can counter it.
1: Yeah, most certainly. And, and as Zbigniew Brzezinski had said back in, what was it, 1997, 88, the, the greatest threat to this unipolar era would be the emergence of an Iran Russia China civilizational alliance um which would be intolerable and could render all of these long um for you know <laughs> these 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 plans redundant and obsolete which is exactly what we have seen blossoming now to the the front uh with the Eurasian the, the, the massive Eurasian partnership and all of the economic and security architecture that has arisen in the past, especially the past seven, eight years. But it's really accelerated now in a fast way, made even faster with uh, Xi's visit to, to Saudi Arabia. So um, China is, is I think, one of the greatest mortal threats to the transhumanist humanist elite, which are are really, I mean, just, you know, drooling for their long awaited great reset and they could I think I think they're losing a lot of sleep at night because China represents one of the the most sovereign nations in the sense of economic power. Um, they've never permitted their national banking system to be privatized. They have four major robust state banks that they utilize to conduct counter economic warfare, but not just in a negative sense. They've been putting online as, as I think all of your viewers know Projects that we once built before I was born as a normal way of life, but we've stopped doing that for 50 plus years in the West. They're They're not like like,
0: railroad transportation and things like that.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, development corridors, high speed. They've got 30,000 kilometers of high speed railway. Canada has zero. The U.S. has hardly anything. Um, And they're able to execute these things with high efficiency. And they're exporting this this development strategy to poor countries with programs that help these countries develop better education, develop engineering um, expertise in building these things over over many, many years in Africa, much of the broader Middle East. So it's a much, much more healthy way of thinking about one's self-interest based upon harmonization and, and a real idea of open systems instead of this idea of zero-sum Hobbesian closed system thinking, which has contaminated the West. So China has been a major target uh, for these reasons. And I mean, there's many other things, too. They, they, they have, it's not like they don't have problems. They have their own deep state operations that have been brought online under David Rockefeller and Kissinger back in the 70s. George Soros had his agents operating you know, to, in, to, in very high degrees throughout the 1980s, and some of this continued through the, the 90s. But they've done a better, much better job than we have at extracting and deweeding their deep state garden, whereas here in the West, it's, it's sort of taken over.
0: Some people might criticize your analysis by saying that the Cold War comparison is really not fair to contemporary China and indeed Russia and Iran in that during the Cold War, there was a a communist bloc that included elements that were pretty ruthlessly expansionist or really wanted to push their system on other countries. And within the countries, they could be quite totalitarian And and the people under some of those socialist systems seemed to really chafe at the restrictions that they uh, suffered under the system. So some would argue that the Cold War itself was not entirely unjustified, although there certainly were all kinds of excesses. And the so-called victory in the Cold War obviously was not a victory for humanity in any way, shape or form. But but today it does seem that this Russia-China-Iran bloc is not some kind of unified bloc that wants to expand and take over other countries and force some particular system on anybody else. It's rather kind of the axis of uh, sovereignty, that these countries believe that they're sovereign nations, and they don't don't want to be taken over by a fanatical expansionist, somewhat increasingly totalitarian bloc led by the Americans. So in a way it's almost flipped kind of the Cold War scenario. And, you know, now sort of, you know, we, quote unquote, you know, NATO Atlanticist, U.S. Americans and so on are actually kind of the equivalent of the most extreme uh, kind of communist element during the Cold War and that the the current uh, Russia-China-Iran axis is actually more reasonable and more willing to live within their own sort of sovereign borders than uh, any side was during the Cold War itself.
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, I, when one, I mean, when, I, when anybody who looks at what the West, the so-called free and, and democratic order of the West did in terms of, you know, coups, overthrows, assassinations, the IMF World Bank, uh, economic warfare to create a new slave society throughout the course of the Cold War, compare it to the so, the socialist, you know, commie bad guys, it's incomparable how much more evil was done. And I'm not saying there wasn't wrong done on both sides, but it is incomparable how much more evil was done on the side of the so-called good guy victors of the Cold War. Uh, just the list of <laughs> CIA-sponsored coups and assassinations is just wild. Uh, nothing comes close from what China or Russia did during that same period of time. But beyond that, I mean, my, my first chapter in the special report on um breaking free of anti-China Psyops. Even though I reference the Cold War, I, I do get at how the Cold War itself was artificially created to derail a certain orientation that history was moving us in- into um by going at, you know, the Abraham Lincoln networks in China that emerged with Sun Yat-sen, the first president and revolutionary who modeled um his idea of a China republic based upon the best examples of constitutional nationalism of what he studied when he was in the United States studying under allies of Lincoln um, in Hawaii. And then, you know, I looked at again how people like Franklin Roosevelt, Henry Wallace, um, many of the the figures who had allies in India, China, uh, South America, Africa, and were preparing the groundwork for a post-imperial order were destroyed. I mean, they were either assassinated or their careers were destroyed, labeled red commies. When uh, Roosevelt died and uh, all of the plans and promises to, to export the Internet, the, the New Deal policies of electrification of the South that was done in the U.S. to Africa and South America and India, which were signed off on by the U.S. delegation at Bretton Woods, all of these things came undone as Truman, you know, signed in the, the in, in basically he, did, <laughs> he he created the Anglo-American special relationship with Britain and then reconstituted the British Empire with new American uh, dumb giant enforcement um, and Israel was brought online in the midst of that, you know, Pakistan played a certain role and uh, and the world just became topsy-turvy. But all of this was was created um, by grand strategists who wanted to destroy a very beautiful vision that could have come online potentially that didn't and chapter two of that special report deals with how the, you know, how the Cold War was created, but like how things like the Guzenko Affair uh, which ushered in the anti-chi- anti-China and anti-Russia, especially psychological warfare in 1946 uh, or 45 to 46, was completely done by MI6 and, and some Canadian intelligence agencies, um, which was never based on any reality. There were no actual concrete evidence of any Russian fifth columns embedded in Canada and the United States at that time, but it was all cooked up and out of make-believe
0: Wait a minute. Um, Wasn't there a bit of a Russian first column in the fifth column in the United States uh, with the like? Was it Benenka? Uh, the, the the historical work showing that there uh, a number of Stalinist agents had reached very high places in the U.S. government.
1: No, like, um, my her- chapter, my white. chapter two actually goes through how a lot of that was just make believe, just re- reamplified by the mainstream media and intelligence agencies. There were certainly people who were friendly with Russia and tried to revive the pro-U.S. Russia-China relationship. That Franklin Roosevelt had spent a long time trying to cultivate. Um, but the, what,
0: what, what about the Venona decrypts? Have you, did you deal with that in the
1: book? I dealt with primarily the um, well, you know, the, the Guzenko affair, the Guzenko hoax. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. this this proved that there were thousands of different fifth colonists that uh, were under the payroll of the Russian embassy of Canada in the United States. But it was run through Canada Um And there was a royal commission hearing and members of parliament were destroyed, were sent to jail. And uh, basically in the course of this, we none of the actual evidence was ever made public. And finally, after 50 years, when they were made public and you had all of these reels of microfilm that were allowed to be examined by journalists, there was nothing there except like millions and millions of photocopies of like laundry laundry lists and telephone books. But there was no actual evidence. So, uh, no, I mean, the, the all of the so-called evidence that Gu- Igor Guzenko, the, the cipher clerk, stole from the, the Russian embassy and took to the uh, the Canadian intelligence was all just make-believe and also tied to Camp X, which I go through quite a bit, the British agency that uh, organized the takeover of the OSS and the purge of any patriots and the creation of the CIA. Um, they worked very closely with Hoover's FBI and they specialized in forgery using forged documents, things like that, that they also brought online with project mockingbird uh that was tied to the cia where they started just taking over control of all mainstream press uh and and televised media but a lot of these things have been overblown um yeah not to say there were not some Russian agents, but the Russians didn't have as, <laughs> a, a fraction of the amount of influence that we were told by these CIA operatives they had. Uh, yeah, so, to so so I'm
0: going to have you and Ron Uns come on and debate this. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, the, the, the larger point, I think, stands pretty pretty well. And, and then uh, it leads to a question. You know, some folks uh, in power end up drifting sort of to a Hobbesian belief that the only way to avoid war is to have a kind of a unity that's going to be imposed by force. And they you know, are trying to create a unipolar empire you know, to do that. And that people from that perspective argue that this multipolar world that's emerging is going to be a very dangerous place, because if you don't have the U.S. as the Hobbesian Leviathan, or the, the you know, the big gorilla with the stick that can pound anybody that gets out of line, then things will you know, all kinds of conflicts will break out uh, yeah. that you know, the Middle East, the, the Saudis will fight the Iranians and then the Russia, China will probably invade Siberia because it, it needs all that Leban's and this sort of thing. So is, what, what's wrong with that particular analysis? Why do you think that the emerging multipolar world with China as the biggest you know, economic
1: hub is going to be peaceful? Well, I think a lot of these people. We, we're in a world where people have been uh, turned very cynical about human nature in general. We've been, you know, given the worst elements of what human beings are in our media and our culture and our our, our our Hollywood sh- movies. Everything really just showcases the worst elements of a of a very dark expression of human culture, and we have not been privy, I think, ba- to to appreciate the divine beauty of what our deeper essence actually is as a species who's inclined to cooperate and work together to solve problems. So, you know, people are often, and I mean, the baby boomer generation was really hammered with a lot of this uh, brainwashing throughout the 1960s and 70s, and they saw a lot of bad stuff, Vietnam War, assassinations of their heroes, so they became very nihilistic very, very easily, and now we're several, a couple more generations into it, where it's just gotten, you know, worse and worse. But I think that when you when you take a broader step back and just look at humanity as as you know uh, a species that has done miraculously good things, not just destruction, um, our our tendency is generally still to find points of common agreement and despite our cultural and, and religious differences to try to work together. Um, it's just that you have this oligarchical parasite that's been holding on and you know inducing people who are soft minded to destroy themselves. And going, you know, fa- no war that I could see or terrorist act, you know, terrorist movement in history. I can't find any examples that have ever been organic, sociologically arising phenomenon that were not artificially created by intelligence agencies out to stir up the pot and create fires, you know, and then convince us that it's all because we're humans and, you know, humans are just bad. Um, but I think that Russia and China and, and, and Iran and, and other countries are increasingly expressing a much more natural optimistic orientation of human beings working together for the common good and there it's not like there aren't points of corruption and problems there's there always will be we are you know finite limited human beings who are not perfect but they're uh, they're doing it well i, I don't uh, i don't think that there's any reason to think that we need a hobbesian leviathan to impose <laughs> order from the top onto the uh the chaotic masses
0: Okay, well, uh, so you talk about the anti-China psyops. So what what do you think are the biggest ones? All, a lot of them are about human rights. And, you know, we've we've heard about the, the Uyghurs being oppressed in Xinjiang, of course, the Tibetans being oppressed. And uh, we have the, the story of Tiananmen Square, which turns out to be somewhat uh, dubious. Now we're also hearing about COVID lockdowns, horrific, draconian COVID lockdowns. And it's kind of funny that the uh, American mainstream media seems to think that covid lockdowns are a horrible thing in China but they were a great thing here in the United States. So maybe you talk a little bit about the bizarre double standards in the way that this anti-China propaganda is being laid out.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean there's so many points. I mean I we, we my wife and I who who co-wrote the book with me, we we tried to nail the key elements of the the anti-China um, tropes that have really been used to weaponize a bunch of Fearful, sure. dumbed-down patriots into basically a mob to hate China and and basically acquiesce to a, a potential war even with that country, despite seeing and and I mean, the idea has been that a lot of uh, truths have been sold in the amongst alt-right conservative readers especially who are the main target audience of this thing, um, but a lot of truth have been sold about you know broad conspiracies to destroy their elections to undermine their order to to bring about a one-world government so a lot of these things are true and that's how the lies are always sold but then it is deflected away from the actual causal anglo-venetian hand which has actually been i think at the at the heart of all of our core problems for the last several centuries um and it it it's directing all of that hate towards china as like the the insidious bad guy and so you know again we we go through the xinjiang um uh narratives that have been uh, sold by the CFR, this other CIA and, and National Endowment for Democracy operations that have tried to persuade us that China is this genocidal society, destroying the lives of people, especially Muslims, as if as if the West <laughs> has demonstrated a real love and concern for the Muslim world, right? Uh, but yeah, that China is like this evil bad guy, and, and they're destroying the, the Tibetan Buddhist culture and all of these things, and, and destroying African cultural groups by their evil Belt and Road Initiative, and... So we just try to debunk as many of these things as possible, showcasing who's really behind these things, what the actual evidence is in terms of quality of life and economic development in Xinjiang increasing, not decreasing. The opposite of genocide, same thing for Tibet, uh, same thing for Africa and and a lot of the Southwest Asian nations, too, who are looking to China right now as a beacon of light and hope for uh, reconstruction. As far as the uh, the double standards on COVID, I mean, look, yeah, China has been treating this thing like a bioweapon deployed by the U.S. military industrial complex, which has an array of over 300 laboratories internationally. Many of them are around China. Many of them are in South Korea. Um, they're all opaque. And I think that everybody's been hammering at this Wuhan lab thing, um, which does have some insidious connections, obviously, to uh, Fauci through EcoHealth Alliance. But I think this is a bit of a red herring that's been done to deflect attention away from the 320-plus U.S.-run Pentagon bio biolabs that have been working on genetically targeted warfare with pathogens uh, for 20-plus for years since the anthrax attacks that were another inside job 20 years ago that set this thing off. So, I mean, China's been in DEFCON 2 in many ways, treating a lot of this as if it's a potential bio weapon, and if not this, then it's another seeding that could arise. So they're they're going they're preparing to go into a massive storm as they see the economic system of the West blowing up, and the amount of turmoil that's going to beset the world is going to be massive. And these are always times of of great, great potential for good or for bad. The oligarchy obviously wants to create order out of chaos, and the chaos they've set up is the is the blo- the controlled demolition of their system. Um right now, there's a survivors alliance. And again, I, I think that china is is playing a major leading role in that. Um, and as far as there's there, you know, I, there's things I don't like. I'm not comfortable with, obviously, the the social uh, social credit material as well as the the surveillance stuff. But frankly, nobody doesn't have that. It's just it takes on different forms. You know, there's still people in prison in the United States with who have never even been charged just for being on site on January 6th, which is being sold to us as a new nine eleven even worse than 9-11 by figures amongst uh, the Biden administ- administration. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of things like that. Now, China, I think they they have been working, and I could see strong evidence that there has been an effort to break a lot of the CIA and, and different open society operations and oper- operatives and organizations that have been built up for decades and to extract them, which does, I mean, in that sense, the social credit stuff has been partially used to cut the cia's operatives off of a lot of their their support um part of it is too it's not like you can't protest you you know there's protests happening every day in china all the time and that's part of the way the population d- dialogues with their their government and changes in, pol- in policy happen according to these this protest culture it's just a way of being now the big protest that happened recently um, yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff. There's been, um, I, I think, a mismanagement of a lot of the the zero COVID. I don't fully understand all of what goes on behind the scenes, but the government has responded by lax, you know, relaxing a lot of these things. And uh, as far as Western hypocrites, yeah, I mean, we saw no shortage of people like Justin Trudeau who was freezing bank accounts of of protesters and and really just demonizing seven million people of within Canada. And Biden doing something similar, uh, saying that, you know, the, ch- the people have the right to protest tyranny in China. I mean, it, it's disgusting to hear this level of hypocrisy. It's, it's wild.
0: Yeah, it's, it seems like there's a kind of a misunderstanding among many people on the alt-right who seem to think that China is the problem, that, that China is the source of these uh, encroachments on freedom in the West. And yeah. in fact, what, what I've tried to explain is that, War is the ultimate enemy of freedom, and it seems to me that the West is in some ways coming to resemble China a little bit more in it as it rolls back freedom, but it's doing that in service to a war agenda against yes. China above all. So if you like Western freedom, you should be protesting against this war on China, and you should be skeptical of the psyops and the propaganda against China. And it, it's it just it yeah. seems to me they're they're really taking the poison bait when they try to blame China for the rollbacks of freedom that are being pushed in the West by the people who want a war with China, you know, if you, have yeah, a war, you have to lock everybody down, you have to propagandize everybody, you have to get everybody yeah. saluting the flag and putting on the mask and getting the jab and doing everything the government tells them. And it looks yeah. to me like this anti-freedom agenda is all about preparing for World War Three.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. Well said. I agree completely. Yeah. I mean, part of this stuff is people when their 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 economy has no prospects, they have no hope for the future. There's just fear. When people are in a state of fear, they're they're more susceptible to all sorts of psyops and narratives that are false to give to satisfy or to channel that fear energy into hate, which which fear and hate run to they dance together as partners, you know? Um. And as soon as you can get people into a mass frenzy of hate and fear of the other that they don't understand, and there is not no shortage of ignorance of other cultures in the U.S. zeitgeist. I mean, people have been really dumbed down to think about, you know, we're number one in the United States. It's a huge problem where they just don't know really what is China history. They don't know Chinese culture. They don't know Confucianism. They don't know Buddhism. They don't know Taoism. They just don't know so much. And with that ignorance, there's a, a breeding ground for all sorts of fallacious messaging that paints the big bad Chinese evil atheist commie supervillains out to destroy your your freedom very similar in tone is what was sold to idiot westerners who were dumb dumb enough to think that eating freedom fries was a great way to fight terrorism um it's really ignorant and it's it's just reviving a lot of the tropes the worst fallacious tropes of the cold war which have always been sitting in the subconscious after after 1991 after the the Cold War so-called ended you know, you and did, it's just you being go revived. War,
0: you need to go after those tropes you should maybe start the anti chinese Defama- defamation alliance and uh, you know <laughs> the ADL's done very well having a war on tropes
1: <laughs> that's funny that's a really funny polemic yeah that could be worked with uh, <laughs> but yeah I mean like no China look yeah there's there's problems it definitely, in every country, there's no country devoid of a deep state, and there's there's certainly you know criticisms that one could throw at how China and the population um relate to each other. I mean, there certainly could be more freedom, but at the same time, it's like their their overarching population is um very optimistic for a good reason, not not Obama dumbed down you know hope and change optimism based on nothing, but their standard of living they've gone from having 3% of their population living in in, min, in middle income to now 53% in 20 years you know like the rate of of qualitative growth is is incredible living standards powers of productivity per capita uh i mean longevity infant mortality decrease they're, over, they're they've let go of their one child policy two china policy they're now in three and they're they're going to aim to finally Get rid of that stupid policy that was brought in by the Club of Rome and David Rockefeller back in the late '70s, which they're they're still bleeding from, but they're actually healing. And uh, the population as a whole, when every survey that I've seen has more than 85% giving their support to the current China government and policy orientation versus the sorts of dismal under 30% support that we see coming out of the U.S. population towards their government or Canada or Europe. It's uh, it's wild. But the, the idea is their government is not willing to sacrifice their ancient civilization and culture on some satanic climate altar of Gaia worship like we are right now under the death cult that's taken control of Western governments. And their current policies, if we just look in an objective way at what their policies have been since especially 2013, when the Belt and Road Initiative was brought online, it's overcoming limits to growth, long term thinking that is based upon breaking out of closed systems of scarcity. In the West, the way the oligarchy has always worked for thousands of years is to break the creative will of people, get them to adapt like animals to controlled environments that are then made more scarce as far as resources as the cage is brought in closer and closer around our ears and we're induced to, you know, triage ourselves and and adapt to less, eating bugs, living, living with less, you know, standards of life, um, the U.S. population average life expectancy in the past two and a half years have, has, lo- has lost two years on average than it had in 2019. China has now increased to having, an on average, longer lifespans than in the so-called free and developed West. So it's like on every level, every standard one could choose to look at, things are getting worse by design for those living in the West – while in China it is the opposite. And what's more beautiful about it is they're trying to offer the West and all of the countries who are on the periphery, you know, in Southwest Asia, Africa, Latin America, they're offering everybody a chance to break free of our stupidity and jump on board with their uh, idea of a new world order, which is a much more human, anti-oligarchic concept of of what an order should be, founded upon win-win cooperation. So, of course, this sort of thing scares Western oligarchs to no end, it, it I think, keeps a lot of them up at night in anger, rage and fear. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Well, let me, let me throw a, a bit of a, a difficult thought experiment at you here. Mm. How would you, if you can if you can imagine that? What if the you know, science, of course, the science of climate is really complex? I've tried to look into that. And you know some scientific topics I can understand after looking at the arguments on both sides I can figure out you know who's hiding something, um, and others not so much. And the climate issue looks really really uh, complex. So just imagine what if it turns out that the carbon uh, climate alarmists are actually right, and that we have you know a real serious emergency that does uh, threaten. Human civilization within a couple of generations. If that ha- if that were true, um, how would that affect your analysis?
1: Um, it's it's not true. It's as bunk as. Right, COVID. No, but if it's,
0: yeah, thought experiment.
1: Oh, thought experiment. Oh, <laughs> yeah, if yeah. It
0: were, what, what, what if? I mean, if, I'm sure you agree with me that I, I know. Well, if you're if asking
1: you're, me like 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 what if COVID is everything the World Health Organization has told us it is? Well, if that's true, then we should just go along with whatever they're saying, you know. I, I guess, <laughs> you know, we should if. <laughs> If if carbon dioxide really was this like terrible pollutant that's out that's going to destroy the earth in like by 2050 and we'll all be under this new armageddon, of, no, but uh, yeah, of yeah,
0: but that's a, that's a straw man, Matt. The, the actual arguments are much more sophisticated and much more difficult to refute. Really on either side, uh, I've had it's not I've, that I have difficult. this problem with people on the other it's side not, too. It's not
1: that bad. It's not that hard to dif- to refute, man. Under, if you ta- if you target their underlying assumptions that they build their entire artifice on it's completely easy to refute the idea that carbon dioxide even has an effect upon a causal effect upon temperature. It, the evidence, all empirical evidence proves the opposite. It, it does not drive temperature. It's the effect of temperature getting hotter or colder um, in the, in the records that go back thousands of years. It's always that temperature changes for hotter, for cold first caused by things like the sun. Um, and then as a byproduct, as a consequence, carbon dioxide uh, levels in our atmosphere and our greenhouse uh, gases increase or decrease in accordance with the temperature. It's not, but they've just flipped those think that's those two true. metrics.
0: It is I, I look I looked at I mean I have read books. People sent me these, you know, the best climate, you know, anti-climate change books and I have read them and I've looked at the debates on both sides. And and the problem is that people on both sides caricature the arguments of the other side, and so there's never a a, a good kind of platform where you can hear the best from both sides. But what you just said it just is not true as far as what the pro carbon climate change people say. What they say is that yes, maybe the sun starts it. Start it warms up a little bit, but then you get into to a positive feedback loop where once the sun has warmed things up somewhat, the warmer it gets, the warmer it gets, because once it starts warming, then you start getting more carbon, which makes for more warming. And there does seem to be a really, really tight correlation between carbon levels and global temperature. And that argument that their argument that, that it's a, a feedback loop, so the cause and effect works both ways makes a lot of sense. And, and how does I don't think it mean- stands refuted.
1: How does man-made carbon dioxide output play into that? If you're saying that, that this is something which happens even without – this happens, I guess, without even industrial civilization, it's always been the case of this negative feedback loop where the sun uh, kicks the po- process positive, off.
0: Positive feedback
1: loop. Uh, sorry, positive feedback loop where the sun kicks the process off. This is even before human industrial civilization is what they're saying? Yeah. Well, so how does, how, does human, how does the human uh, consequent or the human aspect of this play into it at all?
0: OK, because when the sun raises the sun uh, by itself would be raising the Earth's temp- average global temperature by, let's say, half a degree or one degree. But that amount is enough to start the process of carbonizing the atmosphere, which then drives the temperature up 10 degrees. OK, so even if you don't have the sun to start the, in the past, there was nothing else to start the process except the sun. Today, humans have just done the biggest increase of carbon in the atmosphere by the fastest increase. There's never been a big, fast increase remotely like this before. It's always happened over millions of years, tens of thousands through millions of years on that kind of scale. And what we just did is what normally would happen if the sun kind of slowly nudged things up a little bit and then the positive feedback loop kicked off and it kicked off over a really long timescale and temperatures went up like, you know, 10 degrees uh, Celsius globally. So uh, what, if, you, if you look historically, it seems very likely that with the higher carbon levels, there will very likely be higher average temperatures.
1: What percentage of the greenhouse effect is caused by human contributions of CO2?
0: Well, the it, given that the, the if if these people are right. Now, again, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate here by sim- yeah. sim- huh. simply uh, you know telling you what I understand of the argument of their side. But okay. according to to that argument, the human contribution, which has pushed CO2 up from what was it like 270 or you know 280 or something parts per million up to it's it's doubled or something like that. Uh, and, um, that and that should, according, according to the, the majority, majority of the experts in the in the area, in the area that, that will be. Raising global temperatures within a certain range to the point that that change is likely to really have a huge effect on ecosystems. It certainly <laughs> won't threaten life on Earth by itself, but it—you know, there are all, all sorts of changes. I urge you to read, you know, David Ray Griffin's book about this, which is pretty well researched, and very alarmist, probably maybe too alarmist. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it, but but his his discussion of this is way more sophisticated um, than anything I've heard from you or from anybody on that
1: side. I don't know. I mean, I've read a lot of people. There's a lot of very powerful scientists on the other side, too. uh, I'll look at David Ray Griffin's arguments. I know that it's 0.1 percent of the carbon dioxide emissions in the greenhouse gas is what the human component contributes to that in the current system. Um, I know that it was getting colder between 1945 and 1977. That was like it was there was a general 30 year cooling before the warming began, which has since tapered off since 2002 or so. And since then, there's been No real observable increase since 2002 to the present. It's called the great global warming pause, which they tried to like cut off the internet and search engines that were formerly talked about in National Geographic. But 0.01% is like super negligible as far as the overarching greenhouse gas effect. And when I look at like who what are the methodologies that have been used to try to create a mass behavioral modification of human industrial civilization for 40 years? It's the same like eugenics based Malthusians who created the club of Rome, who brought online computer model thinking to get us to extrapolate chosen data sets into the future to create these doomsday scare models in order to get us to act preventatively on the future, which results in actions which then cut off our ability to support our population, which has always been the desire. And they did the same thing with COVID-19 with all of their, you know, they use the same sorts of modeling to create these doomsday scenarios to get us to shut down the economy in 2020, um, which were never true. They just they take selective data sets that just benefit their outcomes and then get us to think that the computers know more than human thought does. And uh, yeah, it's just it's the methodology and the intent, the, the players behind the scenes who brought the Club of Rome online, who were there behind the creation of the Great Reset or the, the Davos form with Klaus Schwab. Uh, you know, Prince Bernhardt is the guy who brought the Club of Rome computer models that are behind the IPCC, the creation of the IPCC, the creation of all of these different um, UN affiliated organizations. They, he brought that into the World Economic Forum in, two, in 1973. It, it was Prince Bernhardt who created the Bilderberg Group who founded that to justify this idea that human activity, agro-industrial, is going to destroy planet Earth unless we massively bring back a Malthusian global population reduction policy. And things like, you know, windmills, solar panels were what these same officials were, were promoting as a solution, which would only result in undercutting our ability to sustain, you know, agro-industrial output that is needed to sustain billions of lives. So it's it's like... I just look at it that way as well. Don't just get caught in the statistical arguments because it's it's a forever thing. You got to also bring in the the actual political agendas, the the epistemological fallacies that are built into these uh, climate models, which are again the, it's the same models that are used for uh, COVID nineteen forecasting in the you know East Ang- uh, Imperial College.
0: But, but see, the, the Chinese government seems, if if we can take them at face value. The Chinese government believes that COVID is at least as dangerous as anybody in the West has ever said it is. And the Chinese government purports to believe in climate change through human pumping carbon into the atmosphere, just like every other government on Earth does. So you're advocating for the Chinese government here, but they seem to contradict you on both of those points.
1: Well, I look at what they do and not what they only say. In politics, you can never just look at what somebody says. You got to look at what they do because it's all smoke and mirrors. Like that's his, world you won't be understand anything in world history if you're just looking at what political people p- say on the surface publicly. Um policy-wise, it's much more interesting. And I think there's a a, da- a fight for survival right now and I mean the global warming movement has become a bit of um a a surrogate secular cult of of sorts. It's like a, a massive cultish thing that is shaping the ideology and thinking of all of the leading technocrats installed across Western governments and even throughout many of the Eastern governments too. Hi, this too. Is Josh.
2: You can leave a message hello. to me here or at oh,
1: 215. Hello, Josh. What's going on? That was weird. Are we still there? Hello? 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 Kevin, you, you there? Hello.
0: Oh, oh, there we go. Hello? Okay, so, so, sorry, man. Okay, we're we're back. Uh, we we got cut off there for a second.
1: Oh, that was um, weird. Yeah, I heard like somebody saying like this is Josh. It was kind of confusing. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We're we're bringing on Josh Middleorf, who's going to be the guest in a couple of
1: minutes. He's coming. Oh, in, okay. in, in four minutes now. Oh, okay. We'll, All uh, right. Yeah. So I'll wrap it up then. Yeah. No. I look. China has uh, said. Yeah they're they're playing they're playing the game. Um, but I think when you look at their approach to uh, you know green development. They're not doing what we're doing in the West. They're they're saying yeah, let's do sustained development. They're they're supporting that. They have green, you know, uh, photovoltaic farms more than even what we're investing in. That's true. But they're not putting their industrial economy in any set of reliance on these things. They they're in fact pushing forward more than any other nation in history with hydrocarbon production of every sort, every form of nuclear power. Uh, technology you can imagine including fast breeder reactors thorium molten salt reactors they've brought it all online including every single approach to nuclear power to uh, fusion power um they're doing it all um whereas we've sabotaged that for the past 50 years we've undercut all of that and we're just putting our entire civilization in the west we're expected to on windmill, solar panels and things that are of a, a shit poor quality of of energy um as it in order to get across a depopulation agenda, which is the design in the West, whereas in China, they're doing the opposite. They're creating abundance, and they're helping other nations have abundance too. And and they didn't even allow for, you know, they, they've sabotaged a lot of these green global government agenda policies from COP14 in 2009. It was the Indian and Chinese delegations that sabotaged any any idea of having binding, enforceable uh, carbon reduction policies or any mechanism to enforce such such reduction uh, brought online. They... they sabotaged all of it they did it again in 2014 uh, 2014 15 20, they did it again so they i mean these countries are really really uh they're playing a sort of public game but and you know they're they're fighting for survival and there's some of these this this idea of global warming and covid have become kind of like i said replacement modern religious institutions more than they are science in both cases and they're playing along because you can't just come out saying we see these things as intentions to, you know, destroy our global population. That's that would effectively be saying, like, OK, we're at war now and all diplomatic bridges have to be done bur- burned. So they're playing a the game and trying to stay in control of the narrative as much as they can. And, and how green is defined as being something based on real development and national sovereignty or based on depopulation and world government the way the Western uh, technocrats want it.
0: And that analysis actually kind of fits with your article on China and Saudi Arabia with yeah. the, uh, the recent uh, diplomatic contacts. Uh, Saudi Arabia seems to be leaving the U.S. imperial orbit, which it threatened to do in uh, a month before 9-11, interestingly enough. And now it seems to be actually doing that. And China seems to be interested in uh, continuing to buy lots of hydrocarbons from Saudi Arabia, which would uh, basically support your analysis.
1: Yeah, Saudi Arabia is totally disposable in the great in the long game, and I think they finally realized that they're not essential, and that in the you know post great reset age, pet- petroleum and, and any type of hydrocarbons that that are deemed evil and 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 uh, will be outlawed uh, will play no role, and so their entire economy is based on that. They have no real manufacturing or real economy that they've been allowed to develop for the past seventy seventy plus years. China wants to help them develop manufacturing, nuclear power, full-scale, full-spectrum economic policies, and they're working to help build a stabilizing policy of diplomatic build, bridge building between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Hey. Yo. <laughs> okay,
0: that, that, that is Josh Middledorf. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Okay, yeah, f- hey finishing, finishing up. No, my microphone
2: is working.
0: Yeah, okay, we got, got your uh, Skype working. Okay, well, Matt, I, okay. so... I think uh, you, your analysis is is quite good, and uh, we can we can pick it up there with Josh Biddledorf. Actually, he could actually. Well, Matt, why don't you just hang on for just a second, and uh, Josh, before we get into the Senate COVID uh, hearings or, or whatever the panel, um, may, maybe you could let us know. You're you're a scientist, and your science chops are way beyond mine. What's your take on the whole carbon-driven global warming controversy? I'm agnostic. Matt uh, is a skeptic.
2: Oh, gee, it's not easy to put in a few words. Uh, the, <laughs> the first important thing to say is that the world really is in a huge environmental crisis and that we're destroying the Earth at our, at an, a pace that... Uh, as unprecedented in the history of the world.
0: No, no, Josh, I'm sorry. Let me, let me just tell you that you have an echo. Um, I'm not sure why that is, but I'm, I have an echo too. So maybe, Matt, do you have a speaker going?
1: I do have a speaker going. Uh, okay, how do I do? Crank it way
0: down or put on some headphones?
1: Yeah, I'll turn it way down. I don't have headphones.
0: Okay, go ahead, Josh. So... Um,
2: we're destroying species on this planet and destroying habitat at just a huge rate, and mankind has uh, a, an impact on the planet that's not good and that is uh, destroying the diversity of the planet. But how much of that has to do with global warming? I'd say very little. Uh, we don't really understand the dynamics of weather and the sun Uh, the sun's cycles and the astronomical cycles that determine how much radiation gets to the earth well enough to say whether the earth would be cooling now if it weren't for man-made warming. Uh, So I'm very ready to believe that global warming as a movement is misguided at best and may be driven by industry or um, by bad actors. At worst, we should be focusing on very different environmental priorities.
0: Interesting. Okay. Well, Matt, uh, score one for your analysis that it's mainly driven by bad
2: actors.
0: (laughs) 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 All right. Well, yeah. Thanks, Matt. I always enjoy uh, talking to you. It was a great analysis.
1: Cool. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be on and uh, have fun in the the second half.
0: Okay. Thanks. Bye. All right. That was Matt Arad of Canadian Patriot. And, of course, people can find his links and all links related to the show by going to truth dot com, clicking on the radio show link and you'll find your way there. Uh, so, OK, let's get into the Senate hearings. Josh, uh, I, I was quite impressed with Senator Ron Johnson bringing all those uh, covid truth tellers together uh, for a, a U.S. Senate hearing. And you did a fantastic job uh, summarizing it.
2: Well, I just uh, listened to the video and uh, summarize what each person said um i looked the next day in the usual places the only place i could find reporting on this was uh some wisconsin website news.wisconsin.com or something like that there was a little bit in a milwaukee paper because um senator johnson of course is from wisconsin but uh the silence you know, as I wrote this up, I said uh, the story they told is uh, going to be a turning point for humanity. That's, that's how I introduced this thing. Well, um, I think I'm proven wrong already. The silence is deafening.
0: Yeah, it is. And, and here I am in Wisconsin. I actually knocked on doors for Ron Johnson. I disagree with him about lots of things, but I admired his courage in taking on these difficult COVID issues. So I was. I, I, first time I've ever done anything like that really and uh, so here here in Wisconsin you would kind of think that the media would notice something like this (laughs) what's going on
2: (laughs) you know I'm here to talk about the science and one of my commenters said you got to stop talking about the science. This is a financial crime. And you won't understand anything about COVID if you start thinking of it as a, if you keep thinking of it as a pandemic that was mismanaged or used for criminal purposes. Think of it as a financial crime for which a pandemic was concocted. That makes some sense to me, but it's outside my field. You know, I can talk about why the science is completely corrupted and why what we did in response to COVID makes no sense at all. But, uh, you know, I, I count on people like you to tell me what's going on politically. I, I didn't think I was so naive before this began to imagine that not only the, um, uh, media, but the scientific journals would be taken over to the point where, um, they can get away with censoring some of the top scientists in the world.
0: Yeah, it's it kind of as a replay for me around some of the uh, 9-11 issues. You know, when I got involved in that in late 2003, and just more and more really strong evidence kept showing up, uh, supporting the anti-9-11 official story position and really proving that these three skyscrapers, indeed the entire World Center Trade Center complex, had been blown up with explosives, that struck you know there would be one earth-shaking story after another that would either not get reported at all, or it would be buried on you know page thirteen of the New York Times and then never mentioned again. And This went on and on and on, and so now it's it's kind of like that again with with these COVID stories. There are these massive COVID stories like Senator Johnson's hearings, and People find out about them only if they're plugged into these kinds of networks like reading, you know, Josh Middledorf's Substack or, you know, listening to Truth Jihad Radio. It's, it's really strange. It's like we, we have to do the job of the journalists.
2: Well, I'm, I'm honored that you mentioned my, my Substack, but there are people who are much more prominent than me, of course, who have tens of thousands of subscribers, uh, some hundreds of thousands of subscribers. I, I'd say Dr. Mercola. Came into this as the best-known alternative doctor in America, and he's solidly on our side, and he probably has hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people listening to him. Um, well, c- going back to nine eleven, I thought that there was just uh, an explosion waiting waiting to happen, like when you put your tea in the microwave and it gets hotter and hotter and hotter until it's substantially above the boiling point and nothing happens and you open the microwave and as soon as you touch it, the whole thing explodes and scalds your hand. It's I've superheated. never done that
0: scientific experiment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've done it inadvertently. Um, superheated water, the supercooled water as well. You can have water that's well below the freezing point and you touch it and suddenly it all freezes to ice
0: cool sort of like that Kurt Vonnegut book uh, Cat's Cradle ice
2: yeah Nine. Ice Nine yeah. Um, so is the whole country in a state like that there's half the country who doesn't believe the official 9-11 story and yet it's uh, it's radioactive to talk about that in any of the mainstream media, I remember when Obama was coming into power, I thought how hopeful it was. Um, I thought of the Watergate hearings and how you just ploddingly bring one witness after another day after day and the story unfolds and you pull on each thread until the whole thing comes unraveled and Nixon came down not with any one uh, explosive revelation, but just day after day, people hearing uh, stories from people on the inside. And I imagine that in 2009, that's what would happen. There's so much corruption in the Bush administration around this. Why wouldn't Obama just allow these hearings to go forward? But Obama, as it turned out, he... Uh, um Proactively stifled those hearings, prevented those hearings from happening. He said, "Let's look forward and not backward." Um, and my, my mouth dropped open. You know, this is the Democrats' chance to impale all the Republicans and uh, probably take hold of the American political scene for decades to come by exposing the Republican corruption. And He didn't do that. I still don't understand why. I I, I now understand that there's a lot of Democratic complicity and that, gee, it's not like the Democrats are the good guys and the Republicans are the bad guys, but um, why both the Democrats and the Republicans are so eager to bury the truth. Around nine eleven, I can't understand, and why the country in this superheated state doesn't explode at some point and demand nine eleven truth. I don't understand that either.
0: Yeah, well, I was hoping it would, and that's one reason I, I kept uh, kind of trying to turn the temperature up in that microwave, <laughs> and do what I could to push it up, uh, but. Yeah. Since then, I've I've kind of gotten the sense that the same oligarchs bankroll both parties, that there are these very extensive criminal networks. that are used to keep a lid on such things and they'll do what they have to do, whether it's, you know, take down Paul Wellstone, his wife, his daughter and his campaign staff in a rigged plane crash, whether <sighs> you know to uh, kill members of uh, of Dennis Kucinich's family as a warning to him. So he has to call off the hearings that he had planned to have on the foot options know that. Yeah. Uh, But Senator Barbara Boxer is on the not record (laughs) saying that, yeah, I know you guys are right about uh, about Wellstone, uh, but I can't say that in public. And if you quote me on this, I will deny it. She said that to one of her top aides, apparently, a friend of Four Arrows, who wrote wrote
2: the book
0: and the Wellstone. And, and then I talked. I had Barbara Boxer. I called her up when she was on Wisconsin Public Radio and got her to agree with my uh, truther portrayal of 9/11. And then she said, "Well, that isn't what the 9/11 Commission said, but it, that doesn't mean it isn't <laughs> true." <laughs> but first, we have to end the war in Iraq, and then then we can maybe look into 9/11 or something, something like that. So, so yeah. you know, so and they didn't kill her just for saying that. <laughs> but maybe somebody read the Riot Act. For all I know. In any case. Yeah, I think there are you know there are those kinds of networks, these criminal networks which get blackmail material on a lot of folks, and if they don't have the material on you, then they uh, they'll do what it takes to try to silence you, and everybody's terrified. It's it's like you know Stalinist Russia all over again. But we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. I hear the music, so this is the end of the first hour. I'm back with Jock Josh Middeldorf in a moment. This is Truth Jihad Radio, truthjihad.com. dot Stick around.